Super Talk Mississippi media production. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome to Coast View. I hope you're having a great Monday, uh, and, and thank you for joining me here on Coast View, the show that celebrates the men and women who are making coastal Mississippi such a great place to live, work, and play. Hey, I wanted you to know I had the opportunity last week, last Thursday, to tape a show Spotlight Gulf Coast with Todd Trenchard and Courtney Anderson from the Baker McCarty Foundation. It will air this week on XXV, WGUD, WXXV, uh, NBC, and the and the Fox side. But you you know you'll you, you'll you can look it up. It's a it's a really great program that that celebrates coastal Mississippi. And we had a chance to to chat uh, on last Thursday, and uh, and, the, and and I will be uh, I'll be the sort of the focus of the show next week. I love I love this opportunity because I got to share my passion for coastal Mississippi. So, uh, so thanks to uh, Courtney and to Todd for inviting me to be a part of that program. You know, I like so many people in my generation were really inspired by the first steps on the moon, a moment that 650 million worldwide TV viewers were in deep were deeply inspired by. If you look at sort of the current news that's out there. People like Tesla's founder, Elon Musk, with his SpaceX program, and then Amazon's founder, Jeff Bezos, with his Blue Origin company, Virgin founder, uh, Richard Branson's company, Virgin Galactic. All of these guys were inspired by the Apollo program. In fact, an entire generation was inspired, and, and ultimately, some people called them, all of us, children of Apollo. Um, it was an inspiring program that w- was once called the Art of Impossible. If you, if you go back and look at how NASA describes the program, here's sort of the basics. Apollo was the NASA program that resulted in American astronauts making a total of 11 space flights and walking on the moon. The first four flights tested the equipment used in the Apollo program. Six of the other seven flights landed on the moon. Incidentally, one of the, the one that didn't land was Apollo 13. And uh, as we most of us know, Biloxi and Fred Hayes was a member of that crew. Uh, the first Apollo flight happened in 1968. The first moon landing took place in 1969, and the last moon landing took place in 1972. There are many coastal Mississippi connections to the Apollo program. Ten Apollo uh, missions were successfully launched on engines that were tested at Stennis Space Center in Hancock County. Of the total 12 astronauts who walked on the moon, uh, they were actually they were actually known as uh, moonwalkers. But there was actually a smaller group of astronauts, six of them, who by themselves piloted the the command module that orbited the moon. Astronaut and command module pilot Stuart Rooster referred to his smaller fraternity as the ones who soloed. Stuart Rooster was part of the Apollo 14 crew. Uh, They completed the first successful mission after the Apollo 13 had to abort uh, their mission. Uh, many may remember the Apollo 14 mission, by the way, because that was the mission when moonwalker Alan Shepard made the famous golf shot on the surface of the moon. I'm honored this morning to have a coastal Mississippian and a real, I mean, a real child of Apollo, Rosemary Rusa, Stuart Rusa's daughter on Coastview. Good morning, uh, Rosemary. How are you? Good morning, Ricky. It's a pleasure to be with you. It's great to have you. Look, when I, you know, you, you wrote a book. Um, and I did some research on the book, and it's widely available, I might add. 
about life as the daughter of an Apollo astronaut, name of the book was To the Moon, um, an autobiography of Apollo astronauts' daughter. It was published in 2019. Incidentally, for the Facebook and YouTube audience, we're actually showing uh, the cover. What a great cover. We'll talk about how that cover came about here in just a second. And you also started the Moon Tree Foundation. And uh, what a what a terrific opportunity to kind of keep the legacy of Apollo alive. And, and as you say, helps unite and inspire and conserve. We'll talk about that too. But before we go any further, I want to ask you this. I am not overstating that when I say an entire generation was inspired by the Apollo, Apollo program, am I? No, it was a really an exciting time. Uh, Kennedy had committed us to the moon by the end of the decade. And there's a famous line that he says, we choose to go to the moon, not because it is easy, but because it is hard. And at the time, we were in a space race with the Soviet Union, uh, because at the time, it was felt like who would dominate space could dominate the Earth. And so it was it was pretty heady times. Uh, the world was a little bit in turmoil. We had the Vietnam War going on, but we were insulated down at the Houston Space Center, Johnson Space Center. But but it was a very inspiring time uh, to reaching to the moon. Uh, these astronauts were incredible people and it really did unite the world at a time that it needed to be united. And it, it did show at the time that, you know, America and ingenuity and and sometimes flying by the seat of your pants and, and just um, quick thinking, it, it, it was just an incredible program and one that really hasn't been reached since then. And I'm just so honored to have such a great daddy <laughs> <laughs> and have grown up in that environment. You know, what it did though, is it really unleashed a generation of um, of thinkers and dreamers focused on science and math in ways that that really revolutionized the world in ways that we don't fully understand or appreciate even today. I mean, it's incredible the impact. You know, I remember Rosemary the first time I was at the Smithsonian in in Washington D.C. and I saw the command module and looked inside of it and thought, "Gosh, this is so small." And to think that fifty years ago, this is the fiftieth anniversary of your father's flight of the uh, Apollo 14, that 50 years ago, he spent 33 hours, uh, you know, orbiting the moon alone in that. Like, I'm interested in things like, while he's up there alone, that, gosh, that had to be, I would, I, I, I wouldn't be able to do it to begin with. So, so that's, let me get that out of the way. But I mean, what a hero he was to, to, to do that. But did he sleep? Did he worry? What, what was going through his mind when he was up there? They didn't worry. Uh, they well, they. I'm sure there were some thoughts uh, because going to the moon actually had a docking problem. Uh, when you're going to the moon, you have to actually take the lunar module and connect it to the command module, and so there was a docking problem. So there were there were early on they weren't sure you know if they were going to have to abort or not. But as it turns out, um, they did. Uh, Shepard and Mitchell wound up landing on the moon. My father remained in lunar orbit at a, uh, about 60 miles above, and he was very busy. They had a, they had him on a flight plan, and he was taking pictures for the uh, following Apollo missions. So he 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 had his own checklist to go by, and of course he was the one that got him to the moon and back. 
And I'm sure he was worried a little bit uh, once they ascended uh, if they were going to have a docking problem again or not. But he did talk about how um, when you're at the um, orbiting the moon, there is no atmosphere. So you would be in communication with mission control. You know, your everything would be kind of lit up. And and then when you hit the what people call it the dark side, it's just really the back side of the moon. They would lose communication with uh, mission control and it would happen just in an instant. And so he would be ginning along and then suddenly, boom, complete darkness, no communication. You're 240,000 miles away from Earth. So I'm sure he had some moments in there that were pretty, pretty heady. But um, uh, he 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 did his job and he did it well. There were, there were a lot of risks associated with that particular mission. One, one of the things that they wanted to do, of course, Apollo 11 was the first one. Then you have Apollo 12, and then 13, they had to abort, and then you had 14. One of the, one of the things they wanted to do with Apollo 13, 14 was to land in a place that was a more rocky surface. One of their goals was to collect a lot of rock samples and whatever, but there were a lot of risks associated with this mission, weren't there? There were. Apollo 11 and 12 landed in in fairly smooth areas. And so, uh, well, Apollo 14 did what Apollo 13 was, was supposed to do. And actually, my father's crew was originally slated for Apollo 13. And Fred was supposed to be on Apollo 14. But then Alan Shepard, who was the com the commander of the mission, the, uh, NASA wound up kind of switching the crews. And so Apollo uh, 14 did what 13 didn't do. And it was a good thing. My father had then been training a lot in the, in the simulators and he really helped get Apollo 13 back down to, to earth. So anyway, uh, but yes, they, they were continuing the mission. They landed in a place that was more mountainous. And so they were, their mission was to try and get to a place called Cone Crater and get some samples there that, uh, they had not seen in other parts of the moon. So they, they were kind of heading, heading into the mountains. You kind of, you kind of whisked right by that just now, but, um, this whole notion of how they got Apollo 13 home and the way all the astronauts were involved in that, in that incredible mathematic equation, uh, <laughs> and I mean, ingenuity and innovation. And I mean, it was really a miracle, but it, it took, it was a miracle. At first, took, my father yeah. was not sure they were going to, to get the crew back, but of course they tried everything they could. And it was, uh, it was a great moment to have them back. It was a great moment in American ingenuity. Hey, when we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Rosemary Arusa, whose father, uh, Stuart Russo was uh, a member of the crew of Apollo 14, and we're going to talk about uh, some cool things. We'll be back after this. Coast View on Super Talk 103.1 is brought to you by Allen Toyota on I-10, exit 38 Gulfport. See all of the incredible inventory at allentoyota.com. And remember, when you think Toyota, think Allen Toyota. Talking to the people that help make the coast such a unique place to live. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. Like I said, there are so many connections with the Apollo program, with space programs in coastal Mississippi. And I'm ha I have one of them today. 
uh, Rosemary Rusa, whose father was on Apollo 14. And uh, we're just talking about it, talking about, uh, you know, what is it like to be a daughter of an astronaut, et cetera. Hey, you know, one of the things I want to know about Rosemary is because Apollo 13 that had to abort the mission and they had to work so hard to get them back, which is what we were talking about when we went to break, and Apollo 14 that actually flew the mission that Apollo 13 was, was to fly. I'm always interested in how did Stuart Rusa and Fred Hayes have a unique relationship because of that? Oh, yes. Uh, the astronaut corps was so small. They were very tight. They worked closely together. Uh, they were friends. They they did so much together, training. They knew each other very, very well. Yeah. Okay. So, look, I'm going to tell this part of the story. So, your mother is from North Mississippi. Uh, she actually went to school with Elvis Presley. Some friends of her and her were just literally threw a, dot, a dart at a board, at a map, and it landed on Langley, Virginia, which brought them there to teach. Uh, and uh, ultimately, she met your father. And, um, and, and we, you can talk a little bit more about that. But that actually ended up, they ended up eventually coming back to coastal Mississippi, where your father owned a Coors distributorship. Um, and that's sort of the connection to coastal Mississippi. But what did I miss in that interesting story? Well, I just, some people, it seems to me, have, have a destiny. And I think my parents were destined to be together. I think my father had a destiny. You just don't know. You you just go and life uh, leads you. But they were at the officer's club one night. My father was celebrating. He had gotten the new hot fighter uh, test airplanes, the F-100. And my mother was there actually for a birthday party. And my father saw her at the bar and told the bartender, said, see that woman over there? I'm going to marry her. And she was dating a boy in Mississippi at the time. And so he realized, hmm, I'm going to have to work at this a little harder. But he wound up wooing her with his jet. And so they got married and life continued. <laughs> well, um, unfortunately, they're not, neither one able to be with us today. And But I was so interested in learning about your mother being buried with your father at Arlington National Cemetery. And the you know the, that is such a special place there. Describe it. Describe that to me. It is beautiful. Unfortunately, my father died fairly quickly at the age of sixty-one. We happened to be in Washington D.C. at the time, and and unbeknownst to us, he had already made the plans to be buried at Arlington. So that made the process a little easier. So we wound up picking out a spot that's just down from the tomb of the unknown soldier. Really beautiful spot. And my mother designed the headstone. Uh, with the Saturn V rocket and the Apollo 14 patch on the back and a very dark headstone because it reminded her of, of his talk about being in deep space and it has little sparkles in it like the stars because of course in deep space you can see so many stars and so it's a it's a beautiful place it's very peaceful and then when she passed away in 2007 she's buried with him and of course to save space they bury you know, on top of each other there. But after um, after my father died, we wound up planting a moon tree at Arlington. So if you're at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, you can actually walk down the lane and you can see a moon tree and then go visit his headstone. Wow, that, that's so cool. So let's let's talk about the Moon Tree Foundation real quickly. Your your dad had the option to be able to send something, bring something with him into space. Explain what he brought and how that left a, left a legacy. So back in the day, the Apollo astronauts were allowed to take a few personal items with them. It was a, it was called the PPK, Personal Preference Kit. And 
prior to daddy joining the Air Force, he was a smoke jumper with the Forest Service. So when it was time for his mission, he, he wound up taking some tree seeds with him in honor of the Forest Service, five different varieties. And so they circled the earth, I mean, they circled the moon with them. And when they came back to earth, they weren't sure if they would germinate normally, if deep space or radiation had an effect on them, but they wound up uh, coming to Gulfport, Mississippi at the Harrison Experimental Station. And so they germinated them and they wound up growing like normal trees. But a lot of those original, uh, they were mostly planted during the bicentennial and those original seeds so are now gone. And so out of the 450 seeds that he took, there's less than 100 of those original moon trees left. So I just decided to pick up the legacy and I think it's a great legacy. And so I'm carrying on moon tree plantings with second generation trees. That's, a, that's an incredible story. You actually had the opportunity to plant one at uh, the vice president's residence. Tell us about that. I did. That was in, in honor of the Apollo 11 50th celebrations. There were a lot of celebrations in 2019. We actually planted a moon tree garden uh, at Kennedy Space Center with 12 trees, uh, a tree for each of the Apollo missions. So as you enter into the Saturn V Center that has a large Saturn V rocket in there, uh, you'll first pass through a moon tree garden. And then at the end of the year in November, we went up to the residence of the vice president with Buzz Aldrin and Rick uh, um, uh, Armstrong, Neil, Neil Armstrong's son. And so uh, Mike Pence was so gracious and it was just a small little ceremony, but there's a moon tree there now. Wow, what a what a great story. There, gosh, there's so many stories to tell. In fact, there's so many stories to tell. You wrote a book about your life as the daughter of an Apollo astronaut. Um, in a short time we have left, what stands out to you in the stories that you told in your book? Well, I, I decided just one summer just to start putting, putting down my thoughts. And so I wrote it to the moon. Uh, I, I love champagne. So if you can see on the cover, there's a champagne bottle uh, with the command service module heading off to the moon because there are a lot of times when I miss my parents very much and I take a bottle of champagne out and I get the cork and I try and find the moon and I shoot it up and that's not the way you're supposed to handle champagne, but I shoot <laughs> it up as far as I can get and try and get it back into lunar orbit and I toast to them. But I decided it's it, to just kind of write about having such a unique childhood. And the one thing my father and my mother, too, wanted to teach us was just be adventurous and just get out there and try things and explore and, and just do things. And so adventure was really something that brought them together. And so that's something that they conveyed to me. So the book is about um, I take the reader to the moon and back in the first couple of chapters. And then I take you all over the world with just adventures. But I always weave something space-related into every chapter. And there are 14 chapters as an ode to Apollo 14. Wow, that's such a <clears throat> that's such a cool story. I'm actually glad that you mentioned the cover because I was curious about that, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show. What a unique cover. Um, so I, I'm sure you considered lots of different things, but you ultimately landed on that idea. How, why did it win? Why did that particular cover win? Uh, well, actually, that cover was designed by my honey, uh, Francisco Gonzalez's daughter, Bella Gonzalez. And wow. I described it to her, and she's in 
she has two degrees from Ole Miss in, in graphic uh, arts. And and so I described the concept to her, and she just came up with it. And she, she hit the nail on the head. It's just a beautiful cover. Francisco Gonzalez, uh, our dear friend, and what he's done with the Mississippi Aviation Museum is really inspiring, isn't it? It is awesome. And of course, my father's in there along with Fred Hayes. So so we do an ode to space in there. They're in the Space Heroes uh, gallery. And so there's also a shuttle mock-up and things like that. But but he loves uh, filming, flying, and golfing. And so he picked this up. And so it's just a beautiful museum. And I encourage people to, to go by and see it. But he's he created, I know he's been on your show talking about it, but it's just really awesome. And, and we do cover all areas from space to early aviation to World War II to the Civil Air Patrol. Um, so there's just there fun, lots of fun things to see. So let me, let me do a, a shout out. Uh, to Kyle, real quick, Kyle, you on the you on the uh, mic? I am here. Good, good. How much time we have left? One fifty-five. Good, thank you. Now, as usual, Rosemary Kyle Hurley, the producer of this show, he died. He well, I give him the cover, and he goes and dives and does all these other photos that we're showing to the YouTube and Facebook audience. But he's just, uh, you know, he's just he's a, he's, he takes so much initiative to make these shows as good as they can be. Uh, but thanks, thanks for doing that, Kyle, buddy. Thank you, Kyle. You bet. Yeah. <laughs> Kyle's the man. Kyle's the man. <laughs> you so we got, the we man. got about a minute. Yeah, we got about a minute left, Rosemary. But I, I just want to say I, I really appreciate you taking the time to join me today. And what a what a great story. And you've had the opportunity to travel the world, really, uh, as as a child of an Apollo astronaut, and it just defined your life, didn't it? Yes, it did. Uh, I, I'm just so lucky. And right now we're celebrating the 50th anniversary of Apollo 14. So I I just want all children out there to be inspired, to reach for the stars in their own way. I'm very excited about the fact that, that a moon program is getting back on track and that this time we'll land a man and a woman yeah. on the moon. And I hope the United States plants the flag again. My father used to always say, when you go out at night, and you look up at the moon, there are six American flags planted on that surface by humans. And and we're the only country right now that can claim that. And, and as we celebrate, let's just inspire to reach, to reach and go again. Yeah, I hope that people who listen to this show, when you look up at the moon, you see it a little different these days based on this conversation. So anyway, Rosemary, thanks for joining me. We're going to be back in just a few minutes with Adele Lyons from the Coast Chamber. Broadcasting safe and sound from the coastal Mississippi studios, this is Coast View View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk 103.1. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.